Good morning. It's good to gather with you this morning. If you're joining us online, this is different from our normal online worship service. We are having a big outdoor service at Kish this Sunday, and folks are coming and sitting in lawn chairs or coming and even able to sit in their cars and just join us via their radios to maintain social distancing. And as a result, our expectation is that most folks are going to become in person and we are not going to have a full online worship service. If that is news to you, I apologize. Hopefully though, you're aware of it. That said, if you aren't able to join us in person, we did want to provide some of the content of that worship service. So in just a minute, I'll pray for us and then we're going to read God's word and I will uh, share the same sermon that I'm going to be sharing in person on Sunday morning. So let's pray friends as we now turn to the Lord. Father, I pray that you would be with our hearts this Sabbath day, that you would be drawing and building us up to be more like Jesus. Father, I pray that you would be with us even though we are sinful as we sit under the authority of your word. Be with me even though I am sinful as I preach it. Pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Our scripture reading today is John 10, verses 22 through 30. John chapter 10. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So as you might have noticed, if you've been joining us, we're doing something a little different this morning. We're taking a break from our sermon series through the Gospel of Luke as we're having this live service here, and we're going to talk directly about this season that we are in. It has been a long, hard last few months for many of us. The last Sunday we were able to have a normal worship service here at Kish was March 15th. March 15th, almost five and a half months ago. For some of us who have been attending online, I realize this might be the first Sunday that you have a chance to gather in person at the outdoor service. If you're attending online with us right now, you still aren't even doing that. And of course, missing gathered worship is only one piece of this much bigger, hard season. School is completely different than it used to be. Events are canceled. Weddings, funerals, going to the grocery store, everything looks different than it once did. People have different ways of going to work. Many people have lost their jobs. And then we have all these other things going in our society, all this frustration and divisiveness and the political tribalism of an election season. And many of us feel uncertain and frustrated and discouraged. And I think all of us feel kind of tired. So what we're gonna do this morning is we're just gonna take this text from John, first of all, and we're going to see a beautiful truth in it a beautiful truth that we need to hear in this hard season. 
And then we're going to talk about two exhortations, two encouragements and challenges that come out of that beautiful truth. But first, the beautiful truth. This passage contains the beautiful promise of God's preserving love. God's preserving love. One of the themes of the Gospel of John is really wrestling with this question, which is why do some people believe and receive Jesus and others betray and reject him? Why is it that some people believe and receive Jesus and other people betray and reject him? And all through the gospel in different ways, John is grappling with this question in John 1 and 3 and 6 and 8. And here in chapter 10, that's one of the big questions that lies behind these discussions Jesus has with the crowds. And here in chapter 10, Jesus answers the question like this. He says that he has come to save his sheep, and God the Father has given him sheep that Jesus is meant to save, and those that are not his sheep do not hear his voice and recognize it. But verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So Jesus is speaking God's word and calling people to believe in him, and those who are his sheep hear through him the word of God, and they follow Jesus because he knows them. Now, in some ways, that answer to the question raises a whole conversation that I don't want us to focus on this morning. But we need to recognize that that's what's in the background because of the theme that underlies it. In John as a whole, one of the the central things that we learn about God is that God's love is sovereign. It is sovereign, meaning powerful and effective. God does not just feel love. God acts love in a way that then changes the person or object of his love. Jesus speaks in love and his sheep hear and follow. God's love is sovereign. God does not sit in heaven waiting for us to love him and only then start to love us. God loves first and he loves powerfully and effectively in Jesus and the cross and resurrection. And he powerfully and effectively loves you in your life. He worked in your heart and called you and drew you to himself and chased after you all before you took the first step of faith in him. And then that sets up the beautiful truth that I want us to talk about this morning. John points to God's sovereign love, and then he says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So to put that with the last verse, if you are one of Jesus' sheep, Jesus says, he knows you, and you hear his voice and follow him, and he will keep you, give you eternal life, you will never perish, and no one will snatch you out of his hand. That's what we mean when we talk about preserving love. That God's love begins the process in our hearts of working faith and drawing us to himself. And God's love continues in the present to work in our hearts and will continue to work in our hearts for our whole lives. If we are his sheep, he will not give up on us. He will not abandon us. He will grow and guard us in our faith. Verse 29 tells us why. Jesus says, My father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So we can hope in God's preserving love because of God's sovereign love, because God is greater than anything in the universe, because he is powerful. Therefore, we can have hope 
that his love will not be turned from us and that it will continue to work on us. God does not just call us and save us and then say, all right, now you're on your own, be good. God draws us and preserves us and keeps us. So this is God's preserving love. If we truly belong to Jesus, if we are truly born of the Spirit and are sons and daughters of God, if that is true, then God will powerfully keep us and nothing can pull us away from him. Now, we might have questions about that statement, and we're going to talk about those questions in a minute. But first, let's just be clear that this is something the Bible points to in a lot of places. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 1 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He who began a work in you, he will be the one who brings it to completion. Jude, the brother of Jesus, talking about God, calls him him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. God is the one who is able to keep us from stumbling and who will present us before the presence of his Father. The apostle Peter, Peter speaks of us as people who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time that God is guarding us as we trust in him. So do you hear in each of those verses, God is at work not just getting people saved, but in guarding and growing us and keeping us from stumbling every day of our lives. God will powerfully keep us and nothing can pull us away from him. Of course, whenever you point to these verses, people have questions. And I think a lot of people, whenever you point to these verses, the questions are all like, but what if questions? People are like, well, but what if you don't keep following Jesus? And what if nothing changes in my life? And does that mean I can just go sin and do whatever I want and still be saved? And some people, not keeping the whole counsel of God and only using these verses, actually seem to think that that's the case. That just because you prayed a prayer once upon a time, it doesn't matter what you do after that. You don't have to, in the present, be following Jesus. God's love is still going to keep you. You're still going to go to heaven. And that is wrong. But here's why it's wrong. It's because when we talk about God's powerful love, God is powerful both over the destination and over the journey that gets us there. He's powerful both in the destination and the journey that gets us there. So part of this promise that we read is about the destination. Jesus is going to preserve us for eternal life. We will not perish and we will be presented blameless before the Father. However, that destination includes the journey. In those scriptures we read, God powerfully works out the way we get to that destination too. God is continuing a good work in us right now. God is able right now to keep us from stumbling. He grows and guards us along the path of following him. That is about the journey, which is to say that it's not the case if you're not on that journey that you can't get to the destination, that you can get to the destination. Here is how God preserves us. When you are in sin and the Holy Spirit pricks your heart and draws you to repentance, that is God's preserving love working in your heart to keep you. When you pray and gather with the saints and spend time in the word and your heart is nourished and you feel the Spirit's presence and are grown as a Christian, that is God's preserving love working in your life to keep you. When you are growing spiritually, when you're learning what it means to be a disciple, that is God's preserving love working in your heart to keep you. 
He is working through those means in our lives to carry us and bring us to that destination. And so no, if we, if we are not on the journey that uses those means, we aren't headed for that destination. And that's the problem with all those but what if questions. They all assume that we can kind of get eternal life, that God is gonna give us that, that he, he's powerful at the beginning and the end, but he's not powerful in the, minute, in the middle. And scripture would warn us against that kind of thinking. We ought not presume upon God's love if we are not following him. Not everyone who claims the name of Jesus or prays some prayer once upon a time is truly one of his sheep. John himself points that out in his letter, his first letter, speaking of false teachers. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. So the lack of perseverance of these people, their lack of faithfulness in continuing to follow God shows that they were never part of God's people in the first place. So we say all of that because we shouldn't have the wrong idea in this. God's preserving love is worked out through our repentance and growth and striving after faithfulness. It's worked out through our actions and in our lives following Jesus. But that said, it is still an important truth for us to recognize. And here's why. It boils down to one question. Who are you trusting in for your salvation today? Who are you trusting in for your salvation today? We as Americans are wired to be deeply self-reliant. We're all about trying to convince ourselves that we're strong and have it together, and if we just grab our bootstraps and pull up hard enough, we can do anything. No matter the obstacle, we just work hard and are smart enough and throw enough money at it, whatever, we can make things okay. And that just big picture is part of why this COVID season is so discouraging to us because it forces us to recognize that the world is broken in ways that we cannot fix. Coronavirus and the lockdown and the deep divides and wounds in our country and even the struggles in our own lives, nothing makes you feel helpless like trying to be self-reliant in a season when you are suddenly being forced to recognize that almost everything that matters is outside of your control. And that is true of the world, but that same self-reliance is a deep problem for our faith as well. In our salvation, we have a tendency to resort to that same kind of trust in ourselves. We think that we preserve ourselves. We think that we need to force ourselves to grow. We think that we've got to keep it together and grit our teeth and stay faithful and kind of spiritually pull ourselves up by those bootstraps. And if we don't do that, then we're not going to survive this thing. And that is a normal feeling. And that is understandable. We all do that. And it is fundamentally opposed to the gospel. It is fundamentally opposed to the message of salvation we find in Scripture because if we are doing that, it means that what we are trusting in is ourselves. Maybe not at the start. Maybe we think grace gets us started, but today we think that our, we are the saviors of the present. But the good news of God's preserving love is that we can trust in Him today just as much as the day we started this thing. That right now, just like in the past, God is powerfully and faithfully working to keep and guard us in his love. When you feel discouraged, there are two ways you can respond. The way of self-reliance, the way of self-salvation is to look at yourself and say, I can beat this. I can do better next time. But the way of God's salvation is to look at him and say, even when I am faithless, he is faithful for he cannot forsake himself. 
When you feel afraid, there are two ways to respond. The way of self-reliance, of self-salvation, is to try to solve it or convince yourself that you're strong enough to make it through. The way of God's salvation is to look to him and say, God is great and no one is able to snatch me out of his hand. When you feel uncertain about the future, there are two ways to respond. The way of self-salvation is to convince ourselves that things are going to look up tomorrow or sooner or later. We're going to catch the break we need if we just make the right choices and work really hard. But the way of God's salvation, when we think about the future, is simply to look on him and with the Apostle Paul in Romans 8 say, For I am sure that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here is the beautiful truth I want you to hear. God will keep us with his sovereign, preserving love. He is stronger than the struggles we have in this season with the coronavirus. He is stronger than the problems we have in our nation. He is stronger than your personal struggles. He is stronger than the fears and failures that we hide in our hearts. If you belong to Jesus, he has given you eternal life and you will never perish and no one will snatch you out of his hand, but he will continue to work in you and grow you and keep you until the day of his return. Just take a deep breath for a minute and feel the sweetness of that truth. All right. So that is a beautiful truth. But coming out of that, I do want to give us two exhortations, two encouragements and challenges for our lives. But first, I need to explain why. Because I think the idea of calling us to do anything when we've just declared God's sovereign, preserving love can seem kind of strange. Remember that we said that God is powerfully at work both in the journey and the destination. God works out both the ends and the means to those ends. And that means that in every area of life, what we are called to do is trust God and use the means that he has given us. We trust in God and we use the means that he has given us. If you are drowning and someone throws you a life preserver, you don't say, no, I'm trusting God to save me. God is the one who provided that life preserver. That is how he's working salvation in that moment. If you are sick and someone gives you medicine, you don't say, no, I am waiting for God to heal me because God is the one who created those chemicals and gave them those properties that interact with your body and gave the scientists the minds to come up with these things. And through those things, God is healing you. And if you are struggling spiritually, there are means God has given us to help us there too means of grace. We should not ignore those means and say, no, I'm trusting God to preserve me because those are the ways that he's giving us to be preserved. And so I want to offer two exhortations about those means of grace. And the first one is do not grow weary of doing good. Do not grow weary of doing good. Flip in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6, start in verse 7. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So first Paul says, what you sow is what you reap. 
What you plant in the ground, that's what's going to grow. If you plant seeds of the sinful flesh in the ground, then what's going to grow up from those seeds is corruption. If you plant seeds of the Holy Spirit in the ground, what is going to grow out of them is eternal life. It's that simple. And then he gives this illustration. He says, do not grow weary of doing good. Continue to seek after what is good, even in hard and dry and tiring seasons. Because if you do that, you will in the end reap a good harvest. Here's what I think Paul's trying to get us to see by those statements. I've been married now for 13 years. And one of the things that happens in marriage is that there are times that you realize, man, we just feel really distant and disconnected from each other. And it can feel like it came out of nowhere. You'll just wake up one day and be like, man, like we're really distant. But when you reflect on it in marriage, often you realize that what caused that distance was a series of small choices you did not even realize that you were making. Choices to do your own thing rather than spend time together. Choices to watch TV rather than sitting down at the kitchen table and talking about your days. Choices to skip date nights or not to do little things to serve the other person. You make that series of small choices, usually not even realizing it, and then you wake up one day and feel distant and disconnected from each other. In following God, there are times that I also realize I feel distant from God. I am struggling spiritually. I'm discouraged. And that can also feel like it came out of nowhere. And to be fair, spiritually, there are times that it does kind of come out of nowhere. There are times that that is a product of the attack of the enemy. But there are other times, I think most of the time, that if you reflect on it, you realize that distance has, a, has developed because of a series of small choices that you did not realize you were making. Choices about how you spent your time. Choices about what you were focused on. Choices about whether to engage with God in prayer and his word. Choices about whether to harbor sin in your heart or fight against it. We make those small choices without even realizing it. And then we wake up one day and feel distant and disconnected from God, not realizing that that's what led us there. And that is especially dangerous in this season. With the world turned on its head, without a lot of our normal rhythms and habits, and with a lot of scary stuff going on, it is easy to miss the choices we are making, the seeds that we are planting. We check out spiritually. We let worry crowd out prayer and God's word. We give in to little temptations, become spiritually lazy, and as a result, in the time that we most need to feel God's presence, we have neglected the things that help him feel present to us. We need to not grow weary in seeking after those good things. Let me ask you two concrete questions coming out of that for your life. One, are there good spiritual habits you have been neglecting? In this season when we most need them, has God thrown you life preservers that you have not been using, given you medicine for your sickness that you have not been taking? Think about your life and ask whether you've fallen off in those things, and if so, seek to re-engage with them, not out of guilt or shame, but because those are the things that are planting seeds that will, in the end, grow up into eternal life. And then the second question, are there opportunities for good that you've been ignoring? Are there opportunities to grow in this season that you have not taken advantage of? Let me just try to give one example that I find myself thinking about a lot. 
In normal times, before COVID, probably the most spiritually toxic thing in our lives was how busy most of us were. We packed our lives with events and things for our kids and commitments and then struggled to find time for things like quiet reflection or scripture reading or acts of service to those in need or encouraging our neighbors and friends. And that busyness in normal times is an issue, right? Many of us are probably too busy, and again, that's another sermon. But right now, one of the great blessings we have in this season is time. There aren't all these commitments and activities for us and for our kids and in our lives. How do you feel about that? Do you feel angry about that? Do you, do you feel like you have to figure out some way to pack your schedule full of things again? If so, friend, I just ask you to stop and recognize this is an opportunity to nourish your soul. You have the time to pray. You have the time to work on your marriage. You have the time to go on long walks with your kids and talk to them about Jesus. You have the time to study the Bible or read that book you always heard you should read or, 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 or figure out how to grow in different habits of, of, of grace and helping others. Do not let the devil use the discouragement you feel to rob you of the opportunity of that time or of the other opportunities this season gives as well. Let's seek in this season to not grow weary of doing good. And then the second exhortation is do not neglect meeting together. Do not neglect meeting together. And that one probably sounds a little confusing to us because of the realities of how COVID works. But first, let's hear it from God's word. Flip over once more to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to pick up in verse 34. It says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the author of Hebrews commands us to do three things. To stir up each other to love and good works, to not neglect meeting together, and to encourage one another. And those are all commands from God. We're being commanded by God to do those things. The first and third command are important because of how they frame this question. I think we tend to define our relationships in terms of what they do for us. And even our church relationships, often the question we ask is what are we getting out of it? And that is the opposite of the Bible's view. The main reason it calls us to be connected to others is first to glorify God and second to build them up. We're called to join together to stir each other up and encourage each other. Our question is supposed to be, what are we giving to others, not what are we getting for ourselves? But that said, there are some things that we get out of the community of the saints too, necessary things. Because as we are stirring up and encouraging others, we are being stirred up as well, and therefore we're told, do not neglect meeting together as, some, as is the habit of some. The author knows that there are people who are living lives where they're trying to follow Jesus, but they're disconnected from the community of faith. Uh, he names that and says that is wrong and unhealthy. Now, like I said, I realize that this is a strange topic for this season because we are limited in how we can gather, and that is not a bad thing because we are called also to seek to honor the government and to be wise and keep people safe and uphold the 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 reputation of the gospel among all outsiders, those are all also biblical commands, and churches have to sort through how to balance those things. But there are some things I want to say about this call to meet together. 
on two levels. First, in terms of Sunday morning worship, and then in terms of our relationships more generally. So first, in terms of gathered worship, there's two things to reflect on. One, regardless of where you're at, or how you're engaging, or what's going on with COVID or whatever, we are called to set aside the Sabbath as a day of worship and rest. It's one of the Ten Commandments, right up there with don't kill people. And as part of that, we are called to engage with the worship of the church in whatever way we are able, even if it is not ideal or not what we wish it was. I do worry sometimes that people in times like this fall into this trap of letting the perfect be the enemy of the good, where they say, man, like Sunday, it's just not the same as it was before COVID, which is true. It's, it's not the same, but they say, well, therefore, I'm just not going to engage with it as Sunday at all. And that is, that, that is not the right response to that. That is saying, because it's not perfect, I'm not going to do what's good. Especially in this season, we need to set aside Sunday as a day of worship and rest. And then second, I do want to talk through these questions people have about gathering in person for worship. I have wrestled a lot over the last few months with how to approach this issue with people and help us discuss it. So let me try to say a couple of things there. One, there are a number of good reasons for folks to attend online, for a number of folks to pretend online. Very good reasons for some people. If you are elderly, if you are caring for someone who's elderly, if you are pregnant, if you're immunocompromised, if you're in a job where you have to care for folks who are at risk or you need to stay healthy so that you're able to work, those are all good reasons to engage online. And if you're in one of those groups, which I know is hard for you, know that God's preserving love will be at work. And it is true that as a church, we have sought to recognize that because of those many vulnerable people, Scripture calls us to, to love and sacrifice in a way that dignifies and blesses the weaker brother. And so it's true that we have chosen to structure some things in ways that are really aimed at those people's rights and needs. But that said, all of that said, because that's all true, I do also wrestle in this season because I do feel like where there, while there are lots of good reasons for folks not to engage with in-person worship, there are some bad reasons too. And I don't know that I've always done the best job of addressing this. And I still wrestle with it because what I don't want is for somebody who has good reasons to feel guilty. So if that's you, don't. But, but look, if the only reason that you attend online worship instead of gathering in person is that you don't like wearing a mask or that it just isn't the same because out of love for our elderly and immunocompromised members, we've chosen to do the same online service in person as we have for them so that they're not missing out on stuff, or just because you're like, it's easier to sit on the couch in pajamas. If those are the only reasons that you're not gathering, and especially if you are comfortable doing other risky things, like going out to restaurants or going to the gym, then it is probably true that you need to check your heart. There is a part of me that struggles in this season because I don't want to violate people's conscience and I don't want to bind people beyond what's appropriate. But look, I, mean, I, I love you. I'm just going to speak my heart here. I hear people say things like, well, I just don't want to go to church because I don't want to wear a mask the whole time. And I'm like, I'm like, do you know that there are people who, who risk death and imprisonment to do this? Like, like, I remember these people ask, like, well, if persecution came and, you know, and things got hard and I had to suffer for Jesus, like, would I, would I be willing to still gather with the church? Look, if, if wearing a mask is the limit of the suffering that you're willing to endure for Jesus, 
then you need to check your heart. And all of that I say because it weighs on me, because, because it is better together. There is no substitute for physically being together with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Just being together is an encouragement. The folks who are here outside in our Sunday morning service here, I know they are feeling that right now. So if you are not able to be in person, my heart breaks for you because that's not how it should be. But know that God is faithful and will preserve you in his love. But if you are, and there is not some issue of wisdom or conscience that prevents you, then I would encourage you to reconsider that choice to only go online. Yes, we will be wearing masks and have to social distance and everyone's going to sing quietly and we're having the same content you could get online because again we want to show love to those who are not able to join us in person, don't want to encourage people to take risks that they shouldn't, but it is good and powerful to gather and we are commanded to do it. All right, I would be happy to visit with you because I know that has a lot of challenging stuff there, but don't neglect meeting together in the sense of gathered worship, however that has to look for you. But then the other thing, and in some ways this is what I really want you to hear even more than that, do not neglect meeting together in terms of your personal lives and relationships. In this season, we need to be especially faithful in having consistent relational time with brothers and sisters in Christ. Now look, again, that's going to look different for different people based on risk factors and wisdom. If you are younger and healthy and you aren't directly caring for someone who's sick, maybe that means, you know, sitting out on your porch and actually being able to be with someone physically. If you are at high risk, that probably means phone calls and video chats and and but regardless, we need to be seeking those relational connections. And again, now let me just say don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. I mean, I get that it's not, it's not the same talking on the phone. It's definitely not the same being on Zoom as it is being in person. But if that's all we have available, we need to use that because it is still better than not having any relational connections at all. And in particular, I want to encourage two things for you to think about. One is that I want to encourage you to recognize that you probably need more relational connection than you think. One of the interesting things about our society over the, the last few decades is that the average person is far more isolated than at any other time or place in history. The average person is a lot more lonely than at any other time and place in history. And I think we kind of like get by okay in good times with seeing people at work and bumping into people at the store. But in this season, we need to not just be sort of maintaining a few relationships, but we need to actively be seeking about how we can connect with people that we're not as connected with. Maybe call someone that you haven't talked to in a long time or try to put some consistency there. And then also, and this is really the biggest encouragement, I would encourage each one of you to think in your life about people you know who are elderly or sick or in one of those positions that is very isolated and you need to reach out to them especially. I mean, man, my heart breaks as I call some of our older members who aren't able to see people and they, they struggle so much in this season. So, so call them up on the phone, write, write them a letter, even if you haven't written a letter in 20 years, let them know that you are there and experience even in just a little way, that fellowship of the saints. And do that because in that God keeps and strengthens us through each other. God encourages us through fellow Christians. He corrects our sins through the words of our brothers and sisters. He shows us his grace 
through the love of the church in this time more than ever, however that has to look for you, don't cut yourself off from that. Which is to bring us full circle, because that is to remind us that the reason for everything we've just said, the reason for both of these encouragements is that they are ways that we experience God's preserving love. One of the tragedies of the human condition in general is that often when we're tired or angry or depressed, the very things that would help us to recover are the things we don't feel like doing. I know when I'm struggling that what I should do is go exercise, maybe eat a healthy meal, get enough sleep, but often instead I just lay on the couch staying up too late eating junk food. I'm doing the opposite of what will actually bring me life. And the same thing is true spiritually. When we are tired or struggling spiritually, we often stop doing the very things that help us experience God's love. And as a result, we end up struggling even more. And that's what I'm pleading with us not to do. God is faithful and powerful in his love. That is true, and we are called to recognize that truth, to rest in that truth, and to see the ways that that love is worked out in our lives. Plant the seeds that will bear good fruit. Invest in relationships of mutual encouragement. Worship God together because as we do those things, he powerfully works through them to build us up and keep us. Let's pray. God and Father, I pray that you would be at work in us in this season. Lord, guard and keep us from stumbling. I recognize that many of us are weary, many of us are sad. And the hope we have is that your Holy Spirit is working in us, keeping us in Jesus Christ, growing us to be more like him. So Lord, do that work and help us to diligently seek after those things through which that work is done. Forgive us a love for each other. Sustain especially those who are not able to meet with others in person. Give us a love for that which is good. Help us not in this season to become discouraged. Lord, sanctify and purify your church. Pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.